0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis, I'm Gil Gross, it is a tradition around here to do a full-on 30-minute one-on-one therapy session on the first Monday of the majors. Uh, some of my, my favorite shows are these shows, on the first Monday to kick off a fortnight uh, because there's always so much excitement in the air and we uh, we try to, to absorb that excitement in a nice session of comment response. Uh, So, let us begin uh, with the first comment. It is from Mahmoud Abdelaziz, um, and he says, What do you think Nadal should improve or do differently to beat Djokovic on a hard court this time, given that he hasn't done that in some time? I think that there's – I'm going to answer this question in three parts. It's a question that clearly there's tons of interest in because this top comment got 28 likes. That's 11 more than any other comment. It's definitely a question that I, I feel like I got before the I, – I, I've probably got, gotten it um, this year at some point after the Australian Open. Uh, but let's, let's dive back into it. So – the first thing I want to bring attention to is kind of a, a newer development that I saw in Rome uh, when, when Nadal faced Djokovic, and that was uh, how much variation he used on his backhand wing. He did, And with that, on clay, mind you, he was able to do the same thing that Federer sort of did to Djokovic on grass, which is to uh, move him north-south, backwards and forwards on the court using variation of height, especially. So Nadal was hitting his backhand a lot of the time, very loopy, high topspin down the line and trying to get the ball out of Djokovic's strike zone on his backhand side. Or Nadal can use his slice down the line. His slice has kind of improved throughout his career. It's always been been pretty good, but I'd say he's able to use it a little bit more offensively these days. Um, And to do that, to mix up the high loopy uh, backhand down the line and the kind of shorter chip backhand down the line, it makes Djokovic work very hard with his footwork to keep the ball in his strike zone on his backhand. The key is that you don't give Djokovic rhythm on his backhand. You don't give him that predictability. And the same would go for his for uh, his drive uh, backhand cross court, which he can also mix in. And when Nadal has been at his best, especially in the last two or three years, his cross court backhand, he's been able to flatten out and play really offensively. But I'd say if he's mixing up, his directionals on his backhand. Um, when he goes down the line, he's not only mixing up his directionals, but he's mixing up his height and pace. Um, he can keep Djokovic pretty off backhand, off balance rather on his backhand. On his forehand, it's a completely separate issue. It's the main thing that I discussed going into uh, Djokovic and Nadal's 2017 Wimbledon semi or 2018 rather Wimbledon semifinal meeting. And that is that Nadal can't really hang unless sometimes on clay court when Nadal has extra time. uh, He can't really hang with the forehand cross-court to Djokovic's backhand. The cross-court pattern on the ad side. Nadal can't really hang with Djokovic in that pattern. So he has to break the pattern. But he has to do so confidently. And that's all up to his drive forehand down the line. And when Nadal is supremely confident, With his forehand, when he's hitting it correctly, he's able to play that shot very often and very early in rallies. When Nadal's confidence is lower, you just don't see that shot from him. He hits it, a lot of the time, not flat enough for it to be effective. Or he opts to go cross-court, lower part of the net, safer shot. And, uh, you know, he hits the heavy topspin cross-court forehand, which Djokovic can step in and play on the rise quite nicely. That's just what... what Exists in Djokovic's skill set. So. Nadal needs to go down the line early and often. He did that. In his match at Wimbledon. I thought in the semifinal. And. In my opinion. He slightly outplayed Djokovic from the baseline. In the semifinal. In that match. Australia I know is the most recent hard court meeting. But. But. It's easier to ignore that because Djokovic dominated, dominated in, in so many aspects in that match. Um, and Nadal's movement wasn't 100%, which is kind of a non starter. Um, or he wasn't moving well for whatever reason. Um, so, on the forehand, it's about that down the line. In the Wimbledon semifinal, I thought he executed that, but the reason Nadal lost is because despite slightly outplaying Djokovic from the baseline, in my view, he lost the serve-and-return battle. Djokovic served better. Djokovic returned better. He just got off to that immediate advantage in the majority of points, or in in a disproportionate amount of points, and Nadal wasn't able to overcome that. Neutral, Nadal was really good in that match, but it didn't matter. He still lost. So the, so the, the last piece to the puzzle for Nadal is he can't let that happen off clay, uh, he he needs to hit his serve. He needs to find the sweet spot, which I do believe he did at Wimbledon this year. Uh, Nadal needs to find that sweet spot in, you know, I believe the high uh, the high teens. So in the 117 to 119 mile per hour, or the, maybe to the 120 mile per hour range on the serve. That's where I feel like he needs to be against Djokovic in order to have a chance. So backhand it's variation, forehand it's going line, and serving he, he needs to hit it big. That's the big three. Of course, uh, we would not see Nadal and Djokovic until the final at this year's U.S. Open. Nadal on the bottom half and Djokovic and Federer on the top half. The next comment is from Interi Interi. He says, Gil, I really want to hear an honest opinion here. Of course, always in Terry and Terry. Me personally, uh, I hate Federer's returns. And I am not a huge Federer fan, but always honest and not biased. Because he more or less always slices his returns and is really passive as a serve returner. It doesn't really matter if his opponent misses their first serve because Federer will slice the second serve as well. So to me, Federer is a weak serve returner, and that has cost him a lot of matches throughout the years. That's also a big reason why Federer has such a poor breakpoint conversion, at least much more uh, more poor than his two big rivals, Rafa and Novak. To me personally, Federer is not... Uh, Even as near as good a serve returner as Djokovic, Nadal, and even Murray when Murray was on top of his game. Of course, not so much nowadays. So now I want to hear your thoughts about all this. Do you think Federer is a good serve returner or not? Um, And he says, thanks for an amazing tennis channel. Thank you for the compliment. Um, So there's a couple things to unpack. First, I'll unpack the comparisons uh, and I believe it's almost an unfair standard to hold Federer to at the Murray-Nadal-Djokovic standard. I mean, if Federer returned as well as they did, he would have 30 slams. But if you flip it around, if Nadal or Djokovic in particular served as well as Federer did, they would have 30 slams. So it's it's um, certainly he's a weaker returner. Then I agree, Murray in his prime was a better returner. Uh, and also Djokovic and Nadal are are better returners. That being said, there's a lot of positive aspects to Federer's return. I I hear I hear what you're saying when 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 it comes to Federer being too passive on his backhand return on the second serve, especially, I do think also that's something that at Federer's best he's been able to correct largely. And his wins against Nadal in 2017, that was a major factor, was him hitting over his backhand return and punishing Nadal uh, off his backhand return. So I also want to kind of shout out to when Federer has, in my opinion, acknowledged his his shortcomings when it comes to hitting the second serve returns to passive. When it comes to his first serve return and when it comes to when he is passive – on his return I think it's important to do a couple things one recognize that Federer is able to keep the ball short and low off of his block return and it's pretty hard to attack it and now you need to keep in mind what the intention is when you when a player returns serve I've talked about the five intentions uh, neutralizing uh, counterattacking, trading building, and finishing. When you're returning serve, when you're returning a first serve, the goal is to neutralize. Second serve, sometimes you'll try to build, normally you'll try to trade. But the goal when you're returning first serve is simply to neutralize. So if Federer can neutralize by keeping it low um, and possibly even shorten the court, or if he gets depth, that's that's also good. The key is keeping it low, actually, uh, more so than keeping it short. Uh, if, if Federer can keep the block return low, it's hard to attack. He'll be in trouble if he pops it up, if, he, if you pop up a block return. And I think Favrinka, who also blocks his return, uh, sometimes it's a little bit more floating. He puts too much air under it. Federer is able to play with lower margin on his block returns. And I think he keeps the ball nice and low. Now, Of course, the key is getting it in the court. You compare him to some of the other one-handed backhands on tour. Think about Dominic Thiem. Think about the struggles that uh, next-gen players Tsitsipas and Shapovalov have had. These are players who have trouble getting their one-handed backhand return in the court. And Federer has largely been able to do that. So you got to keep it in perspective. Federer is, is not as good a returner as Nadal and Djokovic but that's almost an unfair standard given Federer serving and then there's also a lot of positive aspects to Federer's returning but certainly truth to your comment where Federer um, when his confidence is lower sometimes is too passive on the second serve return we move on to Johnny Winfield's comment after I sip some espresso and um, people like it when I drink espresso on the show because they find this cup very uh, humorous. Mm. Johnny Winfield asks, uh, what is the highest level match you have ever seen? Mine is Australian Open, Stan Nole 2013. What a, that's a fantastic choice. Uh, and Rafa Nole, US Open 2011. Um so mine and I I actually I do remember I have answered this question before. Um mine is Rafa um and and Nole at the Australian Open in 2011. That's my choice. Uh that's a match that I will show someone if they ever say that tennis players aren't up there with the best athletes in the world. That's the match I, I will put on and show them and say, look how amazingly, look how freakishly athletic, explosive, um, and also, you know, the feat of stamina that they showed in that match. From a tennis perspective, the the defense, the, the shot tolerance was impeccable in that match, and I thought that that was really – Two athletes, two elite elite athletes, well rested at the first slam of the year, completely emptying their tank over the course of six hours. I think that both were showing incredible resolve and, and refusal to lose. Uh, and it was close. It went five sets. I think that that's the, the highest level, um, that's the highest level match I've seen. Nolay, U.S. Open 2011 is is a, a little bit fuzzy in my brain right now, but Stan Nole in 2013 was an incredible level. I will say that when Djokovic and Vavrinka play, it it's um, it's advantageous for Stan, but it's also advantageous for the fans because they're both rhythm players. Neither of them uh, like to really disrupt rhythm. And and uh, in a baseline rally, they generally like to hit over all their shots and play somewhat conventional patterns. And that makes Stan play better. It makes Djokovic play better. And it's almost like a clash that they have. But that's the reason I think that Vavrinka plays so well against Djokovic, especially in big matches, because Djokovic gives him so much rhythm. And when you give Vavrinka rhythm, and he's on and he's feeling it, I mean, you got to just hope he sprains his ankle because you're probably not going to win the match. And uh, that's what Djokovic has, has faced a couple times against uh, Stan the Man. The next one is from Dusan Jovanovic. He says, Vavrinka, Medvedev, Federer, and then Nadal. I think they could invent a rule next year that Novak should play... I don't know why this one is next, because it only has one like. But it's next up on my feed. Interesting. I'll just continue to read it, because I started. Um, They could invent a, a, a rule next year that Novak should play two extra rounds against T-1000 and Mr. Anderson just to even the odds. Who's T-1000? I don't understand this comment. I don't understand. Okay, I'm moving on. Next one, that actually is the next one because it's got 13 likes, is from um, Gold Wolf. He says, The ESPN tennis experts have picked Rafa to win over the default number one. Vote was seven to six, with all the relevant voters like Brad Gilbert and Darren Cahill picking Rafa and the expert squirrels who know who nobody knows picking the luckiest Wimbledon trophy holder ever. And Keery Goat got the last vote. What do you have to say about that? Um, surprising. Certainly surprising. Surprising because the last four slams played off clay have been won by Novak Djokovic, and there's just nothing really happening right now that would really suggest that that there's any kind of issue with with Djokovic. In fact, he I mean, besides maybe not playing 100% his best level in the Wimbledon final. Um, you know, losing to Dominic team in a match where I thought was more kind of mentally he lost that match on his worst surface. Uh, There's just, for for Rafa to get seven votes to Djokovic, uh, you know, getting six, that's surprising to me. But I will say there is a bit of pressure sometimes that I feel myself, like, as someone who predicts tournaments, as an analyst, where, you know, I'm very aware that, I've now picked Djokovic five slams in a row since last year's U.S. Open. Um, the thing is, I've been right in four of them. I should have been right in five of them. Um, a lot happened in the French. Unfortunately, uh, I although I did say that team could easily beat him in the semis. Um, you know, I I got I got one of them wrong, but you do feel a pressure to change it up. You feel a pressure to stop picking the same player. Um, you know, you just got to look within yourself and try to be as honest with yourself as possible. What do you really think is going to happen? Um, in your in your heart of hearts, what do you believe is the most likely outcome? And uh, for me, I, I landed on Djokovic once again. Again, I, I don't think he's been... Unbel- I don't think this is one of Djokovic's best seasons. I, I think that there have been times where... His cardio hasn't looked very good. I think there have been times where his forehand hasn't looked very good. I thought the the match at the French Open, I feel like the way he came out, his mindset was awful and crazy that that he was so upset with the wind, something he can't control. Uh so like I've had my criticisms of Djokovic this this year, but coming into the US Open, I mean, I uh it's it's quite shocking to me that uh the experts would go seven to six, and that's just not how I see it. Now, I think N- Nadal could definitely win, and part of that maybe because Djokovic is in the half with the other big three member. It's always tempting to go on the on the side who uh, on the side that doesn't have to face the um, other big three member, but that's surprising. Let's move on to Nikhil Tanwar. Uh, Why Federer is on a five-match losing streak against Djokovic in Grand Slams? Is the reason mental or tactical or physical, or Djokovic is a way better player now? Well, some of the meetings were last season, and Federer didn't have his healthiest season, wasn't playing very well, and Djokovic was playing, by the end, really well. In 2017, if I'm not mistaken, they never played. What is that a product of? That's a product of Djokovic being down in the dumps. Uh, so, so part of this five-match losing streak is about timing. And you could say some unfortunate, some poor timing for Roger Federer. Of course, before 2017, you get into 2015, 20, 2016. Again, I mean, Federer is not – he's having back issues at times. He's having knee issues at times. So, you know, that's um, that's that. Why is it a tough matchup for Federer? I've, I've spoken about mainly Djokovic's depth um, and also his return, which forces uh, a lot of neutral rallies. Sometimes he can really key in on the Federer serve and uh, neutralize it. Didn't do it at Wimbledon. Pablo Fernandez asks, "How would you feel about a possible Vavrinka Djokovic in the fourth round?" Yeah, that's a matchup that I know I didn't mention in the preview, and I know some people brought it up. I I under I could understand why. Uh, we've already spoken on on the show. It's a it's always a fun matchup. I just don't think Stan is playing great. I think he's playing all right, but uh, he's he hasn't been overly impressive to me. The conditions I like for him gives him time. Uh, A lot of time in the back of the court uh, helps his return, you know, uh, but I I almost think that he's lost quickness. He's lost a half a step. It hurts him a lot on return. I think he's holding serve a lot. He's, and I don't have the numbers to back this up. It doesn't seem to me like he's breaking serve a lot. And that has a lot to do with his return. And when you block the return, you got to be ready to run on the next ball. You got to be ready to, to work your way back into the rally. And while, while Stan was never a speed demon, uh, he was, you know, he had probably slightly above average speed and he had an incredible ability to hit on the run um, you know, cleanly and precisely. Now that he's kind of lost a step, I just think it's a lot harder for him on return. I hope we do get to see that though. Um, after I'm done with this video, I'll be Checking out Vavrenka taking on um, Yannick Sinner. Praveen Sharma says, Hi Gil, what's your take on Novak losing U.S. Open five times while Hardcourt is considered to be his best surface? Um, and does he have the gas to go slash win the U.S. Open this time given he has the hardest draw? Uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he has too awful a draw. I think you know. I I mean, yeah. I I think he has what it takes to to win the U.S. Open. I won't. I don't really know what to add to that. Um, in terms of Djokovic losing the U.S. Open five times, I don't know specifically what you're referring to. Uh, but um, I think increasingly Djokovic is better on faster courts, and would you know struggles more on slower courts. Why is that? It's because, as his his fitness is not in the form that it was 2011 through 2015, I don't think that he's able to... I, I think his shot tolerance is a little bit lower than it used to be. Uh, his... And then secondly, I think his, his forehand, sometimes when he's not at his best, just has trouble creating offense from neutral positions with his forehand, so... You know, he, he struggles sometimes to hit through a slow court. It's one of Djokovic's semi-weaknesses. And whenever we're talking about the big three and we say they have weaknesses, it's still better than 95% of Tor. Sap save with a nice Canadian maple leaf as his uh, profile. Do you know why there aren't constant why there are constant repeated first round matches? Vavrinka, Dimitrov, or FAA and Chappo, who played in the first round last year, played again in the first round this year. Uh, it happens way too often and is statistically impossible, improbable, but not impossible. Um, and then also, side note: Do you think Dimitrov's drop in rank could do could be due to a constant losing matchup to Vavrinka? Partially, uh, Dimitrov has had terrible draws. I mean, you know. Don't get it twisted. Uh, Dimitrov's draws have been really bad. He's still not playing well, and he's still losing matches uh, that he should be winning. So it's it's undoubtedly a combination. Uh, when it comes to draws, improbable things are going to happen. There are so many different scenarios. There are so many different things in this sport. Uh, and when you... There are different possibilities of improbable outcomes, if that makes sense, right? There are so many things that can happen that we would say, oh, my God, what a coincidence. Some of those things happen. That's all. Roma's Tennis Talk says, do you think Silver Wolf poses a threat to Gold Wolf's dominance in shit talking? Will there be a shift in power among these trolls, which would effectively shake up the tennis landscape as we know it? Have we just found a new golden era of epic rivalry that will shock the foundation to its core? I vote yes, since I'm a Djokovic fan. Rest in peace, Gold Wolf. I have absolutely nothing to add to that comment, but I'm glad I read it. Igor uh, Lucena says, Gil, uh, why 90% of the time... Novak gets tougher draws than Federer and Nadal. Uh, This comment has 10 likes. Some people seem to agree. Uh, I think I would need some... I feel like we could go to different tournaments and we could point out times where Djokovic had a better draw than Federer and Nadal. So I, I I, I think it differs. I think it fluctuates. Unless you laid out here, you know, some... Some evidence for this, and I I don't really believe in draw-fixing. A lot of people brought it up when Sharapova and Serena were drawn in the first round, and people—I understand why. They get suspicious, because that's the money match for the U.S. Open. So it's almost like an eye-roll, like, oh, what a coincidence. But— I don't agree with the U.S. Open and the way they do their draw. It's a computer randomization. They should really have someone reach their hand into a hat and pick out the name so we can actually see the process. Uh, So I, I don't like how they do it. But nonetheless, I don't believe that draws are fixed. And I think that, again, we point to the evidence for, while it's very easy to ignore the evidence against draw fixing. One example, I tweeted this out. Why, if the U.S. Open handpicked the draw player by player, why would they have American number one? And remember who runs the the U.S. Open, the USTA, the United States Tennis Association. Why would the USTA put John Isner next to Philip Kohlschreiber three years in a row when Isner can't beat the German to save his life? Why would they do that? It's better for the U.S. Open. It's better for the money. It's better for the USTA. It's better for the young players in the United States. If Isner goes far in the U.S. Open, why would they have him play Philip Kohlschreiber every year? When when stuff like that happens, no one talks about about draw-fixing. It's when stuff like Serena and Sharapova happen, when people talk about draw-fixing. Lil Bird. Asks uh, First, I want to know why you sidestepped the Masters in Montreal and no Monday analysis. I'll stop it right here. There was Monday match analysis after Montreal. Um, I made a video about Nadal's defeat over Medvedev. It's still up on YouTube. It's titled, um, Rafa Nadal wins first hardcourt. No, I think it's Rafa Nadal defeats Daniil Medvedev for Montreal title. I mean, it's up there. So I I just don't know. This comment has nine likes. The first sentence is a total – it's totally wrong and very easy to disprove by just simply going back and looking at my channel. Um, is it because of Rafa Nadal being the favorite? You cover all the others. Why not that one? Oh, so if you're, if you're talking about my – if you're talking about the lack of videos during the week, I actually said in a video before Montreal that – I apologize, but I'm going to be – I was in L.A. visiting my brother during Montreal, so I wasn't here. I couldn't watch as much. I did keep up with it, of course, and I watched as much as I could. I didn't have a studio, and I couldn't make videos during the week. Personal things, personal life. You know, I I, I said that. I said that was going to happen, and then it happened. Um... Who do you think will be in the semifinals and why? Watch the preview video. Um, but I have I, I have all the seeds. Although Dominic team, I have to say, um, it 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 was kind of a, a hectic weekend, and uh, I haven't fully I didn't see his press conference where he he tried to temper expectations because of his illness, the same illness that he dropped out of Cincinnati with. Uh, I assumed it was it was more precautionary, uh, and it has been a while since. He's had a lot of time to recover, but if team isn't in full health, then I would favor RBA to get out of that quarter. And then it's Federer, Nadal Djokovic. Nikhil Tanwar, who would you pick in a Fedall final? Um, I don't want to get too deep into that hypothetical, but I think that this surface— could be um, a really good chance for Nadal, um, the, the conditions. If they're going to play very heavy, and uh, it might be a little bit more difficult for, for Federer to hit through the conditions, and if Nadal's forehand is really on, um, and, and you know we can see the power game play out like it did in the French Open semifinal, where the power disparity because of the wind and the slower surface uh, was really able to kind of um, suit Rafa. Um, these conditions are a little bit more skewed towards Nadal's power game, whereas the conditions at Wimbledon are much more skewed towards um, Federer's precision baseline game and serving and net play. Okay, I think that'll do it. Um, You know what? Let's go crazy. Let's go to 35 minutes. Why not? I'll just try to go fast so I can get through a lot of these. Um, I saw a statistic about Federer's recent big four matchups. This is from Ed Dampier. He's 6-1 and one versus Murray, 6-1 and one versus Nadal, but 1-6 and six versus Djokovic. Do you think the problem is a mental thing? What can he do to try and turn things around if they meet at the open? Federer played Djokovic really well <laughs> at, at Wimbledon. And then, you know, he, he served for it. I mean, you know, he had match points and... He wasn't awful in the match points. Djokovic played well and he, and he broke him. So I, again, a lot of it, I already answered this. A lot of it is just timing where Federer is playing Djokovic at bad times and not playing him at good times for, for Federer's chances. But is there a mental hump? Yes, there is. But it's it's very overcomable. This is this is something that that is not going to just lose to Djokovic for the rest of time because he's lost six of the last seven. Do you think a semifinal? crazy loop asks between Novak and Roger could potentially be at, uh, as close as Wimbledon or would we, or would it be more on Novak's side because of the slower surface? I'd be concerned about the effectiveness of Federer's slice and the effectiveness of Federer's serve. That's what would, that's what would help Djokovic beat Federer more easily. Uh, Federer's slice wouldn't stay as low and Djokovic should be able to get more returns in play. Um, so I don't, think it would be as close. Andrew Brooks, do you think uh Federer looks way better with a beard? Also, do you think he shaves it for superstitious reasons? No, I disagree. I think Fedder looks better without a beard. I think bearded Fed, it's he's he's grumpy. He he looks grumpy sometimes with the beard. I don't know why. Grumpy Fed comes out with the beard. Last one. Um do you think Novak this is from Socketh J? Uh, Do you think Novak is headed for a drop in level um, come this part of the season since no slams are left after the next two weeks? I don't know um, how motivated he will be. Would Rafa or Roger be able to take number one spot by World Tour Finals? So, no, it's mathematically impossible for Novak to um, lose the number one spot by the World Tour Finals. That can't happen. Um, Will he not be motivated? No, this is his final peak of the season. You know, I would say uh, Djokovic, we could see a lack of motivation after the U.S. Open, but uh, right now he should be fine. And the last one, because he begs me to answer the question at the end, that normally won't work, but it'll work here, because we'll hit it on 35 perfectly. Can you please give your thoughts on Herkacz? What makes him very difficult to play against, and uh, can he make a deep run? He's actually in a battle right now. I don't even know what—let me check the score as I speak— So Hurkacz is a player um, who um, I think Burdich is a good comparison. Um, Daniel Scotty agrees who I've had on the show. He was the first person to say that, Um, and I agree with it. With Burdich, he's a very even ball striker off both wings, forehand and backhand. He can hit heavy off both sides. Uh, He's not extremely fast. Um, but he moves well enough. But it's really just kind of a very consistent but powerful and steady baseline game. Um, and he's a good ball striker. So it, there's he doesn't jump off the screen. There's nothing that that Hercoc is amazing at. Think about Tomas Burdich. Was there anything that Burdich was amazing at? No, just a, a big serve, a big forehand, a big backhand, and very steady from the back. And uh, to me, that's Hubert Herkoch. We will check the score, and then we will get out of here. How's, how's Hubie doing? Let's see. Vavrinka won the first set, 6-3 on center. Um, Let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, no. Why is this taking me so long? He lost to Jeremy Shardy in a fifth set. That was a tough first-round draw. Hurkacz uh, just won Winston-Salem, so... Um, to play a five-setter right after that, that can't be very easy. And uh, that's a tough draw to, to face an unseated Jeremy Shardy, unfortunate for the young pole. All right, hope you enjoyed. Uh, there will be um, some midweek content, especially ramping up next week. Until then, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.